Some of you guys failed at the challenge of moving forward, and that's okay. All good. All good. Hey, uh, again, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, and again, good to be back. Uh, I'd like to thank Carrie Schneider for coming and preaching last week. I heard he did a great job. I actually listened to it yesterday, and that was just awesome. But uh, we're in a sermon series that is just hard, you know. There are some series that are great and fun, and, and you know, they're, but there are some that are just a little bit more difficult. They're not easy to preach. They're not easy to live. And, uh, but we're kind of in one of those, but it's just not a fan. Uh, and the idea is that we become followers of Christ and not just be fans. Fans, we cheer on. We kind of do it from the sidelines, from the bleachers, and we're like, yay, God, you did a good job. And then... <laughs> But we don't jump in. We don't jump in to the mix. And uh, the idea is for us to have a relationship, to actually become followers of Christ. And if you're new to faith or new to church, and uh, you hear sermons like this morning or through this series, and it's like, wow, this is a lot, just hang in there. Uh, I just want to encourage don't be discouraged, uh, but rather be encouraged. Because the one true thing is that God loves you. And he loves you more than what you could even imagine, what you could comprehend. And he loves you so much. And he wants to be in a relationship with you, not just in this lifetime, but for eternity. He created us to be with him for eternity. Um, But in a nutshell, a lot of this is not comfortable. It is not. It's not comfortable. Something else that is not comfortable is Florida. My family was fortunate enough to spend seven days in Florida, and when we landed, (laughs) at 5 p.m., it was 98 degrees, brutally hot and humid, and it reminded me of why I don't live in Florida, Uh, hot and humid and spiders the size of your hand. And so I'm like, I will not go there, but we just stay in a pool or stay in air conditioning And uh, thank God for pools down there. My six-year-old daughter, Olivia, wanted me to tell you and tell everyone, and actually she said, uh, tell them I can now swim. I I can do the front stroke. I've got the front stroke down. She said, Daddy, put it in your sermon so the church knows. And I said, absolutely not. I will not do that. So if she asked you to say, he said, absolutely not. But uh, we had a great time. Flew back on Monday. And when we were flying back on Monday, it occurred to me of why I don't do no-frills flights over two hours, because we did, and I'm like, man, I broke my own rules. Anybody have rules like that? You're like, I'll fly this airline, but never for this much time, especially with children. And, uh, but we did a no-frills flight. I'm not going to mention uh, which company, but it rhymes with Runtier. Um, <laughs> But uh, here's, I just want to show you why I don't go more than two hours on a plane. Here's the, here's the seats uh, on one of these no-frills flights. Um, and you got to walk past this guy um, right here to get to the back. Go ahead and go to the next. This, so, obviously, this is not first class on the no-frills flight, but... Do you see the difference between something that's really comfortable and something that is not, something you have to endure? And you have to, you have to weigh it out in your mind when you're booking tickets. Like, how much am I willing to pay for comfort? How much am I willing to pay for this or that? 
And that's just one of those things. We live in a world that is constantly trying to make things a little bit easier and as comfortable as possible. It's why we have things like Amazon Prime. So, you know, like, why battle all that other stuff? You just go on your computer, you can click, and in two days they'll deliver it to your door. You don't need to get in your car. You don't need to stop uh, at and battle traffic. You don't need to try to find the right store. Walk down the aisle, search the aisle for what you're looking for, walk back to the front of the store and stand in line at the checkout and get back into your car, drive home. And after spending a week in the Florida heat, I'd be like, man, I would use Prime all the time. (laughs) Why leave my air conditioning? I would just hit click and there we go. But shopping, we do it because a lot of times, you know, on that way, it's easier and it's more comfortable. And, uh, And so, you know, think about it. There's a lot of decisions that we make in life where we, we, put, we judge it off of this. You know, are you going to sleep on this really comfortable bed or are you going to stay on the futon? And I don't know who invented the futon, but they are out of their mind. Um, and so really, I mean, it's not even a choice. And the older you get, the more important I think it gets. Um, if you, what you're going to put on your feet, you're going to choose the most comfortable thing, rainbow sandals, or are you going to put on wooden shoes? That's not really... When I was a little kid, I think it was like 1970-something, my parents took us to Europe, and they took us to Holland, and we put on, we got us wooden shoes. And uh, still to this day, I've never worn them. <clears throat> it's uh, comfy is why we have the Snuggie. It's why we have the My Pillow which actually proclaims on the front of it, on the packaging, it's the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. And I don't own one, (laughs) so I'll have to take their word for it. But we live in a culture and we are conditioned and driven by this idea of comfort. Um, Much of our industries, our lifestyles, activities, our homes, our overall lives are in this constant mode of more and more comfort. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. But there is a danger, and there's a danger in loving comfort too much because there's some things in life that we're going to come across which aren't guaranteed to be really comfortable. And it seems like we've continued to put more and more of an emphasis on comfort, and sometimes faith follows suit. Christianity follows suit, where we become Christians who are accustomed to comfort. We come into buildings, and we... We'll make decisions, is it too hot or is it too cold? Are the chairs or pews that you sit in, are they comfy enough? Are they okay? Or is it kind of like no frills? I could do this for this long of a time, but not for this long a time. So if they go revival mode at revive, I may have to stand up because it's going to get a little painful. And all that, you know, again, I, I bought this Bible a month or so ago. And one of the reasons I bought it is because it's comfortable in my hand. It's got a good feel to it. But it can go further than that. and We can start to make messages and sermons more comfortable for people, easy on the ears, something that people will want to hear and listen to. And the message becomes less about the Messiah and more about us, less about Jesus, more about comfort and our feelings rather than His call for our lives. And... I started to think about being a devoted follower of Jesus. It's, uh, if I think that that's going to add 
more comfort and convenience to my life, then I don't really understand the gospel. Because God never said, hey, this life in me is going to be easy. No, he did say it's going to be good. It will be fulfilling. Uh, There are promises that are amazing, but it does not promise that a life as a follower would be easy, convenient, trouble-free, pain-free, and comfortable. And we know this because during this series, we've really honed in on Luke chapter 9, verse 23, which simply reads, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to be a follower after me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of difficult. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And maybe, the, maybe there's a mistake with the way that this is written. I'll just be honest. The first thing I would say, the Bible doesn't make mistakes. But in case you're, you need a little more proof, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but it sounds anything but comfortable. It sounds uncomfortable. When we break these verses down, we can simply conclude that in order to be a follower of Jesus, we need to be willing to die to ourselves and become like Him. Become like Christ. And it's going to cost us Because we are going to choose to take up our cross and follow him. And in Jesus' day, (laughs) they knew what this meant. In first century, uh, they knew exactly what this meant. They knew what the cross meant. It was very real to them. It was the cross beam that was extremely heavy. Anywhere between 50 and 100 pounds. And it was not sanded down. It wasn't wrapped in padding. There weren't shoulder, you know, things. It was meant to be excruciating. You didn't have time to prepare or train for the carrying of this cross beam. In fact, they would torture you and try to get you as close to death as they possibly could before they would make you pick up that cross beam, that splintery, really painful crossbeam and put it on your already ripped up shoulder and carry it to where they would execute you. And so what do comfort craving fans of Jesus do with the cross? What do we do with that? Because it's hard to avoid the cross. Instead of getting rid of it, what most Christians, what a lot of us will do, is we will make the cross comfortable. We'll focus on what Jesus had to endure and kind of try to ignore maybe what he calls for us to do in picking up our own cross. And I've done that. Where I don't really consider what it means for me. I just, I just know that this is something Jesus did but I try not to think about what I have to do. And what fans of this eventually find is we find a way of making the cross comfortable. We create a comfortable idea of the cross 
and what it means for us today in taking up our cross. And so phrases, you'll hear people say, hey, you know, that was my cross to bear. I'm going to take up my cross. And they'll use that really loosely. And they'll use it in ways that uh, I believe are very menial. Just little everyday tasks that maybe you stubbed your toe. Oh, man, that, you know, that's my cross to bear. That really hurts. It's inconvenient. And so the cross, a lot of times, will get pushed into the background of our sermons and our Bible studies. And it will make an appearance maybe on Easter or Good Friday service. The, real, the cross is a very difficult sell, not only to Christians, but especially to those outside of Christ. Love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul was a church planter, a traveling evangelist, and was a converted Christian. And here's what he says. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are lost, those who are without. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One of the reasons that the cross seems more appealing to us is who are believers and even people who are not is because we know that crucifixion isn't going to happen to us via a cross. It's no longer used to execute people. But for the Jews, the cross meant death. It meant weakness. It was shameful. And I think that's God's point. That's what makes the cross so beautiful. Is that God finds a way to take a symbol that is least looked at by people as love and strength. And he turns it into love and life. He says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that, which the world looks at different. And I'm going to make that, watch what I do to this. It's going to have the power of salvation. He continues in verse 22. He's, the Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so the cross has to be moved to the forefront of everything that we believe, and Christianity. But when it comes to picking up our own cross, am I willing to die to myself for the cause of Christ? And so we do this. We take the cross and we'll wrap it up with pillows and blankets. And we'll try to make it as comfortable as possible. We will actually comfy the cross. And we comfy the cross when we say yes to what God has given to us, but no to what Jesus asks us to give to him. That's how we comfy the cross. 
I'll accept everything that God shows to me and everything that God offers on the cross. But when it comes to my response, that's where we struggle. And we do this in a lot of different ways, but the first one I want to point out to you is our relationship with God. We comfy the cross in regards to our relationship with God. When it comes to our relationship with God, we often try to soften up the edges of the cross a little bit, and we're going to lighten the weight of it by embracing the benefits of the relationship with God, but refusing to invest the effort that is needed to grow in our relationship. And I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but it sounds very familiar to me because a lot of times in my life, I want to accept everything that he has to offer, but I don't want to step up and do the things that I need to do. And we read scriptures that because of our sin and because of our disobedience and our rebellion, that there is this separation between us and him. There's a separation that is going to last for eternity and there is nothing that you and there's nothing that I can do to fix it. We can't build a bridge over it. We can't leap over it. We can't be shot out of a cannon to get over it. It is this chasm that is just something that I cannot reconcile. And thankfully, what Jesus does for us, he does something that we could never do for ourselves. And that's it. He took our sin. He took this gap And he rectified it on the cross. And he paid for my sins and yours. And he fixed a fractured relationship so that we can have unity with him. And not just during this lifetime, but for all of eternity. And we love that. That sells. That gets people in the room. People will eat that up. We're quick to accept the benefits of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But a relationship, and you married folks know this, can never be one-sided. And that's not what Jesus wanted. For it just to be one-sided. It needs to be effort from both sides. It requires some sacrifice from you and from me. And we have to ask ourselves some questions. Are we willing to put forth the effort to grow in our relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to spend time in prayer? Are we willing to carve out some time in our day to spend in the Word of God and asking God to tell us what He wants to tell us? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to make our relationship with Jesus the highest priority in our lives? lives. And I can just tell you this, if it's the highest priority of your life, it's going to be something that you're making an effort in. You're going to make some sacrifices. You're going to do whatever it takes to make this good. But if you respond like me, you're going to say, well, golly, sounds kind of hard. Sounds kind of hard. It doesn't sound very easy. It doesn't sound very comfortable. It's the same response I get from couples who are a few years into their marriage and they find themselves in my office and they come and they say, you know, we need some help. We didn't know that it was going to be this hard. 
We thought that it would be like the honeymoon forever. And I always say it can be, it just takes a lot of effort. It does. It's not easy. You have to work at it. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make your marriage a high priority. You have to be willing to spend time together, learning how to better love one another. And it takes both people. And at times, it won't be comfortable. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. It's going to require some sacrifice and some effort from us. Jesus did his part. But if it's a true relationship, we have to step up. For some of us, it's going to mean, it's going to mean maybe waking up a little extra early. And I don't like to hear that because I don't want to wake up any earlier than I do. But we're going to do that to spend some time with God. For others, it means not staying up so late so that when we do wake up in the morning, we're not dog tired and we can actually be attentive. Uh, maybe it's carving out some time during your lunch break to open up God's word, maybe to pray or invite him into your day. And maybe it's limiting your time on social media because I, flat out honest, when I hear people say, you know, I don't have time to do this, and yet I see them on Facebook here and here and here and here, and it's like, okay, we had time for that. Or I'll hear about the episodes that they're watching of their favorite TV show. We had time to do that. And maybe we need to put those things a little bit on hold or on the side, until we've spent some quality time with God. Making Him the priority. And it's all part of denying ourselves so that we can experience the fullness of God. Denying ourselves so we can make, experience the fullness of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says this, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, that's what I don't like reading. <laughs> I don't. And some of you guys are early morning people. God bless you. But here's what it says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is what Jesus did. He got up early in the morning, but while it was still dark, and he spent time with his dad. And I know our lives are hectic, and we got busy things going on, important things going on, but I can almost guarantee you, in fact, I will guarantee you, there is nothing that you and I have going on that is more important than what Jesus was going through when he was alive. Saving the world is a pretty big deal. He had that on his mind, and yet he carved out time to spend with his father. To do whatever it takes, no matter how inconvenient it might be, to cultivate the relationship that he so desires with us. And I think what we'll find out is when we do this, 
It's not an inconvenience at all. It's an honor. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. I would never want my wife to say, man, it's really inconvenient to spend time with you. Well, thanks, honey. Second area that I think we comfy the cross is in our relationship with sin. We love to embrace the forgiveness of sin, but if we don't address the sin with Christ and with the people He's placed in our path, we don't ever experience the freedom from sin. And that's not the way that He wanted us to live. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, it says, Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. That's great. That's what we love. No one is screaming from the rooftops arguing with that. We embrace it. But Jesus didn't come to this earth only to forgive us of our sins. He came to free us from our sins, to wipe it out to give you freedom so that we don't have to live a life of this repetitious cycle of, I'm sorry, God, I sinned. 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 I keep sinning. In 1 John 3, verse 8, John says, but when people keep on sinning, when we make it a habit, when we make it habitual, when we put it on the calendar... When we make a practice of sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to wipe it out, to put an end of it in your life and mine. And are we going to miss the mark occasionally? Absolutely. I'm not talking about perfection. We're talking about a pursuit But if we only say yes to what Jesus offers and we don't pick up the cross, then we're simply going to be fans of what Jesus did. And so what I want to do and what I would encourage you guys to do, let's all pick up our cross. And you might have to give up some things that you really enjoy but are incredibly sinful. The things that we feel like doing in the moment It means giving up addictions that we know are not healthy for us. It means sacrificing the thrill of sexual immorality, which is anything sexual outside the bounds of marriage. We need to say goodbye to some unhealthy relationships that are not encouraging and uplifting in our relationship with Christ. And a lot of people at this moment, they're like, Okay, pastor boy, pump the brakes. It's not that big of a deal. I want you to hear what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30 continues, And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, 
cut it off, and throw it away. It be- it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, you can battle with this verse all you want on your own time. But here's what I know. Is that God takes sin seriously. And so should we. These verses get our attention because they call for drastic measures to prevent us from continuing in a certain sin. There's a word that I, I learned about this past week. It's called flexitarian. Do you guys know what a flexitarian is? Some of you might. Um, it's someone who's a vegetarian and doesn't eat meat unless they come across a meat that they really, really enjoy and then they add it to their diet. Which, okay, sounds good. And uh, so I'm not going to eat meat, but man, let me tell you, lobster, whoo, going to add that in. All right? And when it comes to your diet, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's the way you want to go. But for followers of Christ, this is kind of what we will do sometimes with sin. It's like, okay, I'm going to wipe it all out, none of it. But this one here I really, really like. It's really good. So I'm going to say no to all these, but I'm going to say yes. And we become flexitarians in our Christianity. And it gets unhealthy. And so... We need to work on that so that we don't indulge in certain sins. And as followers of Christ, we need to be willing to admit where we missed the mark. We need to stay in God's Word so intimately that you know when that is and make the course corrections in life that we need to make and bring the people alongside of us maybe that are going to help us along the way. This is why I love ministries like Celebrate Recovery and Marked Men for Christ that Andrew's a part of and I've gone through and some of the others. Women have their women's walk with Christ because they are places that position you to confront these things head on. And some people will tell you it is one of the most painful and difficult things they've ever had to do and yet they will tell you it is the best thing that they've ever done in their lives. And the freedom and just this amazingness that happens and you start living the life that God calls you to because it is honest. There's no ministry more honest than those. They are real. It is messy. It is raw. And when I was thinking about those words, real and honest and messy and raw, I was like, oh my goodness, that is the cross. That is the cross of Christ. And the third area that we comfy the cross is in our relationship with the church. And the church is simply the body of Christ. It's a body of believers. We come together. We are the hands and feet of Jesus that make up the church. And it is a crazy, messed up group of people. We are sinful, 
We all have different ideas. We do things different. But for a lot of people, we, we comfy the cross with church because we love to attend church without necessarily stepping up and actually being a part of the work in the church. And what I've come to realize over many years of ministry is that the more people we have being the hands and feet and stepping up in a higher capacity, the greater the impact that we can make for the kingdom. But for far too many people, we place church on our terms, on our time, our convenience, and our comfort. I'll attend as long as it fits my schedule, as long as it doesn't go too long, as long as they don't ask me to do something crazy, as long as the seats are comfortable, as long as the temperature is right in the room, as long as they play the right music, as long as the pastor, whatever. And I think sometimes churches, ours included, kind of do a disservice sometimes because when we ask people to serve, we try to do it as comfortably as we possibly can. I want to make sure it doesn't hinder your schedule. I want to make sure that, you know, it fits. We comfy the church, and unfortunately when we do this, Many people don't experience the beautiful life transformation that happens when we decide to step up and be a part of being the body of Christ. And so for many people, they'll look at all of this and they'll come to the conclusion that God is this cosmic killjoy, not wanting to have fun, not wanting to enjoy life, not wanting to enjoy our time in this world. And if we believe that, we could not be further from the truth. He wants you to experience more than you could possibly imagine. But he also understands in order for you to do that, you are going to have to make some sacrifice and commit to his cause instead of your own. We already read Luke 9.23, but... If you read the very next verse, you can see how this is presented by Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And this is amazing. And I love what God does here because he flips everything upside down. Everything that the world is going to throw at you and he just kind of flips it upside down and says, here's the deal. And so the cross won't make sense for a lot of people. But for those who embrace it, it becomes everything. And for followers, it means doing whatever it takes to grasp a hold of it. Which means that we're going to have to let go of a few things. But who else but God could take the cross that represents defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take the cross that represents guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God could take the cross that represents condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God 
could take a cross that represents pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope. And who else but God could take a cross that represents death and turn it into a symbol of life? And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to carry it alone. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help lead and guide and carry that which we could never carry alone. So, at the airport this past Monday, we had our daughters, they had their backpacks. If you're going to fly no frills, you, backpacks, it keeps things a lot cheaper. So they had their little backpacks, and I had mine, and mine obviously has computers and food and water and all this other stuff. And at some point in time in the terminal, my six-year-old daughter, Olivia, looks up and goes, hey, let's switch backpacks. <laughs> okay, all right. So I said, give me your backpack. And she did, and I handed her mine. And her eyes got really big, and she goes, whoa. <laughs> and she spread her feet out a little bit more. She held on to it for maybe about 10, 15 seconds. And she goes, Daddy, can you take it back? And I said, sure. So I grabbed my backpack, and I already had hers. And then she did this, and she put her hands up. And I scooped her up. So now I've got two backpacks and my daughter. And I'm like, how about if I carry you from here? And she goes, thanks, and gave me a kiss on the cheek. That's what God does for us. That's too much for you to carry. Let me help you. And as I held my daughter, I was just reminded of how much God loves us. Because if you hear this sermon and you only think and you only comprehend that, oh my goodness, this is going to be really hard for me and I have to do this, this, and this, and this, you need to understand this is about love. That God loves you so much that he'd be willing to do these things for you and we get the opportunity to love him back through our lives. And so we take the cross and we take it for what it is, what God intended for us. Let's pray. Father God, you are so amazing. And the fact that you would love us so much, you demonstrated it for us on the cross. And there's no greater demonstration of love than that, that you would lay down your life for us. So I pray, Father God, that we would be a church that is filled with people that are picking up their cross daily and following after you, that I would pick up my cross daily and follow after you, and that I don't comfy the cross, that I don't comfy this relationship. So help us to do that. We love you. We're grateful for you. And this we ask in your amazing name. Amen.